Thanks for tuning in to the Amongst the Table podcast, where we believe in sharing amongst the table for change amongst the world. We hope you'll pull up a chair and take a moment to listen in to today's episode. We're so honored and excited that you've decided to join us at our table. We hope today's episode will provide you and your family and friends or wherever you may be listening to this podcast with the content that will help you share amongst your own table for change amongst the world. So pull up a chair and sit down with us. We're happy to share amongst the table for change amongst the world today. Okay, and we're live. Yep. And where are we live from? We are... Well, we're always live, so I guess it's not like a live show or whatever, but we're recording live. Yes, we are on a rooftop in Vicksburg at... You want to say it? No, I want okay, you to well, say it. Okay, well, it's at Cottonwood Public House slash Key City Brewery. Yeah, uh, I couldn't a, remember all that. That's yeah, why I said it. It's a uh, pub and a brewery here in the heart of downtown Vicksburg on Washington Street. And uh, we're at, actually got private access by Blake, <laughs> the manager. He's really we cool. We know Blake. We know Blake. <laughs> and uh, we're up here on their rooftop experience that only opens up on Fridays and Saturdays after 4 p.m. And since we don't have much time, uh, we were able to schedule, or actually we were able to, you know, secure this space where it's actually really quiet up here. Yeah. And uh, it's really cool. Um, and so we're downtown Vicksburg right now on the rooftop of Cottonwood Public House. And beside us is a 10 South restaurant, but these two restaurants uh, capitalize on a rooftop experience, a dining experience and community experience. You really need to check it out next time you're down here uh, mm-hmm. in downtown Vicksburg. Just come up here, tell me you know Blake, and <laughs> <laughs> take it to the rooftop. Yes. It's so awesome. You get to see uh, the canal. You don't, you don't actually see the Mississippi River from where downtown Vicksburg is because, a little historic fact, um, this is the canal. This is the old river uh, pattern. Um, and so it, I think the river changed courses after the Civil War, around the turn of the century, 1800s, 1900s. And we're actually, now when, we're actually looking at the canal of Vicksburg right now. So that's not the Mississippi River. I would have never known the difference. You never know the difference because it's <laughs> muddy either way. But it's important to know that because this is where historic Vicksburg was founded. Yeah. And um, it was founded as Fort Nogales, which means Fort Walnut, basically, uh, by the Spaniards in some century. And <laughs> <laughs> anyways, and this is where the original river would have passed by. So mm-hmm. we're sitting and standing in places of historic value where so much has happened mm-hmm. uh, over the several centuries uh, where, you know, uh, the Civil War happened um, and Abraham Lincoln called uh, Vicksburg the key uh, to the west, because Vicksburg had a prominent spot in the Civil War history, they were on the top of a hill. Therefore, they could have a, had a great advantage. Bloody blooty blah blah. That's yes. not what this podcast is about. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is about sharing amongst the table for change amongst the world. Yes. And we are here at Cottonwood Public House, uh, Key City Brewery, and we are sharing amongst the table with y'all. And we're literally what are we? at a table at that a table. is at Cottonwood. That's so right. that was a little historical buff from the. Hometown Vicksburg Jonathan Crabtree. That's me. Bob Stamps will be so excited if he listens to this. So we want to give a special shout out to Cottonwood yes. Public House. 
uh, and your amazing staff and Key City Brewery for your amazing brews and beers. Um, we just want to give you a shout out because you are creating a spot for people to share amongst the table for change mm-hmm. amongst the world. So that's what it's all about, folks. Um, and today, Christina, you want to introduce the topic of what we're talking about? Yeah, so we are You don't going have to read that. To, just I know. We're not, I'm definitely not going to read this because nobody in their right mind would understand this other than you and maybe Bob Stamps. Oh, so, right. um, But we are going to be talking about kind of what Jonathan is going to be doing in his Ph.D. in the actual topic that he will be focusing on. And um, all I can understand and explain right now is going to be about sacramental theology. So without (laughs) (laughs) the kitchen crew is also getting ready to open up at four. So, and there's lovely birds in the background. Tweet, tweet. Y'all can tweet this later. You could tweet this later. Okay. Anyways. So, uh, but yeah, so we're going to be talking about like why this PhD topic for Jonathan, um, you can tell a little bit more about why England mm-hmm. and uh, just kind of like what what you think this PhD and this time of study and our time in England is going to produce like yeah. for the world because mm-hmm. our, our mission and vision is to share amongst the table for change amongst the world. Right. So we're not just having like a meal and having a drink or just having a party or whatever at a table. This like, is worldwide. This, this is global wide. This worldwide is universal and this wide. is for change. That's right. You know, so, um, so yeah, so just kind of start wherever you would like and okay. just kind of help people understand what the heck sacramental theology is because maybe not a lot of people know what that means. Mm-hmm, sure. Um, yeah, so just kind of start there. Okay, well, give me the space to do that. <laughs> Your space is given. Thank you. How's, how's my hair? It's beautiful as always. All right, good. All right, so to, to be short, sacramental theology, that's what I'm doing PhD in. That's the wide range of, of, one, of what I'm looking at. So sacramental theology is simply the theology of the sacraments. <laughs> I don't know how to play the drums, but I would say, boom. That's right, yeah. Two drums and a cymbal, roll down the hill. I'm also here for jokes. Also here for jokes, folks. Jokes, folks. I got jokes, folks. Okay, continue. All right. Um, so what I'm going to be looking at in this PhD is I'm, I'm very interested in, first of all, the idea and the ministry of what's called the open communion table. And uh, what I mean by that is that the communion table, Lord's Supper, uh, is specifically available to everyone, not just Christians, not just Methodists, not just Baptists, Presbyterians, whatever denomination you find yourself in. Um, It's even open to non-believers. And here's why. Because all of the grace of Jesus is available there. And so if all of the grace that Jesus freely gives to us is available at the Lord's Supper, the very meal that renews the covenant with the people of God every single time, is available to even non-believers, that means that there is a potential chance for conversion to happen at the Lord's table and an experience. Now, we can't build our theology, we can't build our faith on simply an experience. We can use our experience to help uh, shape our faith, but we cannot build all of our faith and theology on on a singular experience. And let me tell you why, and this is how how it has to do with sacramental theology. One is you're going to forget that moment. You're going to forget that moment. No matter how hard you try, no matter how how many pictures you take, no matter how much you write it down, you're going to forget the moment that you experienced. Mm -hmm. Okay? And that's why it's important 
to understand that the sacraments are not a singular event. And this is very, this is obviously debatable. People will argue with me and argue with others about this, especially when it comes to baptism. Right. Okay. So baptism and, and the Lord's Supper, those are the two sacraments of the church. Jesus told us to do this, uh, told us to do these. Baptism, what we believe and what I believe is that baptism is not a singular event. It is not. It may yeah. be a singular historical moment for us, whether we believe in infant baptism or uh, later in life we are we are baptized as an adult. Mm-hmm. It is not a singular event. It is a historical moment that has eternal applications. Okay. Yeah. And so, with that, then, because we're going to forget our moment of baptism, no matter how much you want to tell me you can remember it, you're going to forget aspects of it. You're going to. Okay, can you, can you, Christina, you were baptized in the Baptist church. Can you remember every single moment about that day? Nope. But you can remember mo- particular moments. Yes. You can remember people who were there. Yep. Yeah, though you can remember those things, but you're going to forget that moment. And that shows that they're, that they're, that you are, you are not able to, to um, remember the concrete material that happened in that historical moment. Okay? Because we are. Um, subject to forgetting and because of that we need to be reminded of who we are and whose we are especially as it is in our baptism yeah um, and that's where the Lord's Supper is important because the Lord's Supper can both lead non-believers to faith mm-hmm. and lead believers to stronger faith let me say that one more time oh, lead yeah. non-believers to faith mm-hmm. and, and believers to stronger faith I like that okay should write that down well I'm going to say it in this podcast and people are going to tweet it <laughs> tweet tweet <laughs> yeah and so this this is why it's important to understand uh, and study sacramental theology not everybody wants to do it but I am because I, I'm telling you there's nobody in this world more than Bob Stamps except for Bob Stamps that who loves the sacraments more than me I guarantee you that yeah um, and so I love the Lord's Supper so what I'm looking at specifically uh, in this PhD I'll have to look at baptism and I'll have to kind of understand it because it is one of two sacraments but my main focus is going to be on the Lord's Supper now specifically I'm gonna look at two theologians and two practitioners uh, Solomon Stoddard and uh, John Wesley. Now, and then I'll, I'll end it with a reference to a um, former theologian, um, James Torrance, uh, who, um, who is no longer living, but um, some of his theology leads me to believe that he may have believed in an open table. Hmm. Now, what I mean by an open table is just that. I mean that anybody can come to the table to receive the grace of Jesus. Yeah. And the grace of Jesus and the love of Jesus and the Spirit of God can do what the Spirit wants to do in that moment. Right. So anybody is welcome at the table. But when you leave that table, you're changed and transformed when you've been in the presence of the Savior, the presence of Jesus. And I think that's where the big difference in... And what you're going to bring to light in your study is is why John Wesley opened the table. Yeah, and the talk. difference of most people who do not grow up United Methodist, they do not have that understanding mm-hmm. of an open table. There are requirements and <clears throat> expectations, sure. I guess you could say. Good prerequisites. Prere- there we go. Um, that are required to receive Lord's Supper. Prerequisites, yeah. So, yeah. So... Go ahead, continue. All right, so the open table has not always been a 
a thing. Um, historically, the early church only uh, allowed those who were baptized to receive the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. Only those who were baptized. And uh, that's, the early, that's the early church. You know, that's the first century after Jesus, okay? Okay. Um, now, when it came time for the Reformation in the 1500s, you know, the Reformation was all about uh, the, the, uh, the Protestant Reformation was when um, Martin Luther, who's given the majority of the credit for kind of initiating this whole thing, yeah. nailing the 95 Thesis on the uh, church at Gutenberg there, um, he has given a lot of the credit for reminding the people that the Word of God belongs to the people of God, mm-hmm. not just uh, those uh, bishops or priests or whoever. Is that where we get the statement, this is the Word of God for the no, people of God? No, don't get me started on that. Okay, never mind. <laughs> don't get me sidetracked no. on that. Okay, scratch that, continue. And so the Refor- during the Reformation, there were a lot of changes that happened. And, and theology, if you have to understand theology, simple thoughts about God is con- constantly growing because we are, we are studying what's called the uncreated, God the uncreated. Okay. okay? So that's important to note. And because we're study- studying God the uncreated, that means that there is potentially, more than likely, an infinite amount of thoughts that we could have on God the uncreated. Mm-hmm. Now... What that also means, and what people get take this and they run the other way, is they think that they can, you know, really think anything about the uncreated and kind mm-hmm. of and kind of use it to their own advantage and create political or sociological um, ideologies, basically, to say, oh, this justifies who I am or this justifies what I do. Uh-huh. Uh, and, it, and and we forget that theology there there's 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 such a thing as as basic. Christian doctrine, yeah. things that we believe in as all Christians that are essential to the faith. And that's where the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, those types of things are important to understand that we all share those values. Mm-hmm. Now, where we might differ is in sacramental theology, like what, what, do we, what do we believe about baptism? What do we believe about the Lord's Supper? Mm-hmm. What actually happens in these moments? And in the Reformation, during the Reformation, there was a working of all of these theologies. Okay, mm-hmm. a reworking of it. They because the people of God had access to the Word of God, uh, and so okay. they were studying it for themselves. Yeah, and because of that, they were able to work these things out. So there were different views that came from as a result um, of the Reformation, in direct relation to the Reformation. All right. So the preview, the the previous view of sacraments, mm-hmm. there were more of them, um, especially the Lord's Supper. Not. <laughs> There were more sacraments, but there was one view of of, of um, the Lord's Supper, and that was transubstantiation. Okay. okay, and what that meant was was that the, the Catholic Church uh, believes that the, the the bread and the wine become the actual, like become actual blood and bread and body, and that's really hard to grasp our minds around. And I don't want, and I could devote a whole other podcast to that, but I don't want to delve into that. But they believe, like, if I were to touch your flesh uh-huh. and to, to pierce it and blood came out, they believe that the bread and the wine actually became the body and the blood of Jesus Christ in that way. Uh-huh. That's, that's the best I can describe it. Okay. Okay. Martin Luther didn't, didn't like that. <laughs> he didn't believe in that. He developed what's called contransubstantiation. Okay. Okay. So with contransubstantiation, Contransubstantiation. Mm-hmm. He developed it. It's like it does become the body and the blood, but it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
John Calvin mm -hmm. then, well, before we get to John Calvin, uh, Zwingli. Well, that's a cool name. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember his first name. It's not important because I don't like his view. <laughs> And okay. I think his view sucks. But anyways, okay. he believed that the, the Lord's Supper was memorialism. It was only a symbol. Ah. It didn't actually represent a real presence. Okay. And that's where John Calvin comes in. Ah. He believed that there was a... That's the only thing I like about John Calvin, really. <laughs> Maybe a few other things, but mostly that. He believed in the real presence of Christ at the table. Hmm. John Wesley took yeah. this uh, theological view as well. Okay. The real presence of the Christ. The real presence of Christ. Now, okay. there's a book... Um, I can see the cover of it right now, but I can drop it in the notes here afterwards. But um, I don't even know how you pronounce his name. Ole Borgen. He was a Swedish bishop in the, in the Methodist Church. Maybe he's still alive. He did a really good definitive view of the sacraments, of John Wesley's view on the sacraments. And he talks about the real presence. And what did John Wesley mean by that? Does it mean the real presence at the table or real presence in heaven? And I think what I understand is that John Wesley believed in the real presence of Jesus in heaven on earth. So it's just like a weird theological, philosophical thinking here of where is Jesus mm -hmm. in the midst of the Lord's Supper. Right. So, with that understanding then, before John Wesley, um, there, because of that, John Wesley opened up the table to anybody. In yeah. We believe, according to Bob Tuttle, uh, we believe, according to him, that John Wesley opened the table up in the new room, Methodist mm -hmm. Church, been there. in Bristol. We've been there. Gonna live there. Gonna live there. Not in the new room, but in Bristol. <laughs> Okay, and people came to faith. There are stories, mm -hmm. and he wrote in his journal about people coming to faith. I want to research more of that. Yeah. Because I don't want to know what just happened. I want to know how we can apply that today. Yeah. In a world that has been largely, um, our church world that has been largely um, sporadic and um, like the diaspora, how do you pronounce it? I have no idea. Okay, well, anyways, they've been spread out. <laughs> they've been spread apart because of the pandemic. And we're, some of us may be gathering, some may not. Oh, okay, some yeah. may not ever gather again. Yeah. Um, just because they've been out of habit. So where are people going? To the places they've usually been going. Yeah. And if that's the case, we need to bring the Lord's Supper there. Because they're going to eat and drink yeah. no matter what. They're going to have community. Mm -hmm. The Lord's Supper, I believe, needs to be right in the middle of it. Because <laughs> it's an, an announcement, it's a renewal of the covenant of the heaven on earth okay. every single time. You have a lot of thoughts going on in your mind. I do have a lot of thoughts going on in my mind. Okay. Because I'm I'm thinking in the mindset of people who are listening to this podcast that are saying, oh, I feel really awesome about myself because I just learned about 20 new vocabulary words. Okay. Or I'm thinking of a person that's like, I have no idea what he's talking about. All right. So, so it, which is fine because I feel like this is the type of... Great information that will that will make us dig more into the reasons why we personally take the Lord's Supper, and and really kind of imagining what it would be like for those who don't know Jesus to take the Lord's Supper. Okay. That's kind of like. All right. So to put it in a really wide, understandable thought here. Right. Luke's gospel talks yeah. a lot about Jesus being at the table mm -hmm. with tax collectors. Right. The Pharisees and Sadducees looked upon him and said. Look at this sinner. He's mm -hmm. eating and drinking. With He's a drunkard. He's a glutton. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he's eating with sinners and tax collectors. Yeah. What Jesus was doing was he was, he said, the, you know, only those who are sick need a physician. Right. That means that he was embodying the antidote, the healing, the whatever, the, pro, oh, the, the, okay. the, the very thing that would uh, remedy sin in mm -hmm. the world because he was the sacrifice for our sin. Mm -hmm. All right. So what we are doing here is I'm looking at 
theologians who are important to me mm-hmm. and my faith and my uh, denomination, our denomination, our theological understanding, mm-hmm. and how that led non-believers to faith. Yeah. People who weren't Christian uh-huh. by giving them the very body and the blood of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so what we want to do in England is we want to go to pubs, we want to go to restaurants, we want to go to places where people gather, and we want to have the Lord's Supper with them. Yeah. Because the Lord's Supper is the is the renewal of the covenant, and it's also a converting thing, meaning yeah. that people can convert, meaning they can be they can move from non-believing to believing okay. by receiving the grace of Jesus. Okay. Whether whether they believe in Jesus or not, it's right. it's the experience that can happen and change their. Okay, I want you to say one more time that it is a something something and it is a converting something. What did you say? I don't know. <laughs> you were talking about it is a it, it is a renewing the covenant. It renews the covenant it renews and it's a converting. The covenant and a converting. Yeah, well, okay. it's historically it's known as a converting ordinance, oh, a practice okay. of God. A See, practice, that, makes, that makes way more sense. It's a renewal of the covenant. Not, not because God failed on it, because we failed on it. Right. Okay. Noted. So God renews the covenant. He's like, okay, thanks for coming to the table that I invited you to. Right. You messed up. I'm going to renew it. Because right. that's grace. Because that's what God does. Yes. But we don't take advantage of that. Right. We receive it and we grow from it. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. So what we want to do in England is we want to go to restaurants and intentionally be a presence in a pub or two where people know us and we know people. Yeah. And our intentions and our understanding and even our assumptions and observation is that we've met people who will never come to a church building. Yeah. And so we're going to bring the very thing that brings heaven on earth, and that's the meal of Jesus, mm, the Lord's Supper, that's right good. there to them. Yeah. Because they're eating and drinking. And that's exactly what we're going to do in heaven for eternity. We're going to eat and we're drink. We're going to eat and drink, yeah. And then we're going to celebrate. That's exactly what we're going to do. Yeah. So what I'm going to study is John Wesley. Yeah. Um, who practiced this and what that means for the church. Yeah. Now, there was another guy named Solomon Stoddard. Mm-hmm. And he was a 17th century. He was he was a lot. He was way before John Wesley. He was 17th century, so 1600s, New England Puritan Church. Okay, it's getting really windy, so <laughs> y'all just hang tight. Okay, don't put that on there. That's gonna. Who knows what that's gonna do? All right. So he was a Puritan pastor. That's gonna block the okay. thing. He's a Puritan pastor. Just let it go. Okay. Puritan pastor. Just now, imagine you're on the rooftop in the middle of Vicksburg, Mississippi. That's right. He was a Puritan pastor in America, and he was the grandfather of John, uh, Jonathan Edwards. You know that name? I've heard you say it multiple times, yes. The Awakening Revivalist. Okay. He was the one that kind of got a little fiery in preaching a little bit. <laughs> well, praise the Lord. But that's fine. But anyways... <laughs> Um, the Puritans, you had to, you had to be, you know, baptized. You had to be of, you know, of good conscience. You know, no sin. Blah 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 blah, to go to the Lord's table. Mm. What happened because of that? People stopped coming to the Lord's table. They stopped, they stopped coming to the worship because they didn't feel worthy. Yeah, because they feel like they're a sinner and they couldn't come. Yeah, and it's like, okay, those are the very people that Jesus calls and invites. <laughs> um, yeah. Hello, Hello. I'll beat you down to get to it. Okay, or actually, I'll invite you. I'll That's like, true. What I'm saying is, is that Solomon's like, we got to do something. And so he had an experience at the table. And he began to opening it, opening it, opening it up to the unregenerate, which means those who, weren't, who didn't have a um, regenerated heart or a new heart, a new vocabulary, birth. Vocabulary word number 21. That's yep. right. I'm sorry. <laughs> so anyways, I want to study that because John Wesley, or because Jonathan Edwards, first of all, yeah took over that church where Solomon Soddard was. Oh, okay. Okay. And then 
John Wesley was influenced by Jonathan Edwards. Mm. Okay. So I'm hoping to discover some connection in there. I wonder if he was, I wonder if John Wesley got this idea of the open table from Jonathan Edwards, who got it from Solomon Stoddard. Ah, so some kind of connection between There's those the three connection. guys. There's the connection. Yeah, okay. those, three, those three guys. That's what I want to figure out. Cool. Are you going to be like the fourth guy that comes into the room and says, hey? Hey, this sounds like a joke. I would <laughs> But no, I'm going to be, I, I hope that that's the case. And if not, that's fine. But I really hope that there's a connection there. Yeah. And what I'm hoping to discover is why he did it. Yeah. Some more stories of how he did it. Mm-hmm. And what that means for us in the church today. Yeah. Because because we get so confused about open table and we get it we we I'm really we, we let politics influence this thought so much. Yeah. Okay? And here's where I'm gonna get real and honest with you is that we think that if you're a certain orientation of political views or sexual orientations, you know, you're not welcomed or expected or can't come to the church. But okay, hold on one second. What about those who are of other sin? Okay. Yeah. Drunkards those who abuse their spouses and physically or emotionally or mentally, mm-hmm. uh, those who are greedy and gluttons, yeah. are those... Sin is sin. True. Okay? Yeah. And if sin is sin, then we're all sinners. Correct. Okay? But even though we were sinners and we were in sin, by God's grace, Jesus died for us, even right. though we were yet sinners. Yep. Okay? So where we get this confused is we think that... You know, one side is like, oh, you, anybody can come to the table. It doesn't matter. You don't have to change. The thing is, God's grace changes you. Yeah. God's grace changes you when, yeah. you're, when you're in the presence of Jesus who is at the table. That's right. God's trans- grace changes you, not you. Not you. You don't have to change yourself you, to come to God's table, but you... But, but, but being in the presence of Jesus will change and transform you more, yes. in ways that you cannot imagine. Yes. And that's where people get it confused. Yeah. And then on the other side... People think, oh, well, you gotta, you can't be like that and receive the grace of Jesus. You can't be like that and come to the table. That's bull malarkey. Uh, yeah. You I mean... need to come to the table. And so does that person for thinking that. <laughs> okay? Yeah. So the open table isn't some political stance here. It's historical and scriptural. And what I want to understand... Sorry, I didn't mean to hit the table. Sorry, he's getting a little feisty. I am. And his strong one-finger... So, so, so that that's what we're going to study um, in England. Okay, so let's finish up with this last question because I feel like what you are going to be doing in England and what we are going to be kind of exploring in England is going to be very beneficial for the church. That's right. Um, and so I feel like... I feel like people will hear this story and say, yeah, that's great that you're going to do a PhD. Like, how is it going to, like, benefit, like, me as a believer? Or, like, how is it going to benefit, like, the church? Like, where do you see, hey, Jonathan Crabtree moved to England. He got a PhD in sacramental theology. Like, how is that going to benefit, like, the church? Well, the thing is, is I'm probably one of few people who will be researching a PhD and then practicing what I believe about the Lord's Supper at the same time. Yeah. Really, this should be a doctorate of ministry kind of deal, but I already did a doctorate of ministry. True. And I did it in a different way about being sacramentally missional. Now I'm living out my doctorate ministry. Correct. But I'm I'm going deeper in my PhD. Yeah. Um, with it. And, yeah. and so what I'm hoping to do with the PhD is produce something that the whole church mm-hmm. can understand. Right. 
and I hope that this will impact the Wesleyan and Methodist movement. Correct. Hopefully revitalize it mm -hmm. or renew it even. Yeah. That's my intentions. Yeah. Uh, and that's my hope because no one really talks about the Lord's Supper under John Wesley. A yeah. few people do. Yeah. But nope, I don't I don't know. I'm telling you, we love the Lord's Supper. I love the Lord's Supper. Yeah. And people at home or who people who are listening to this right now, whether you're a non believer or not, find you a church that has the Lord's Supper every Sunday or as often as they do it. And if not, then text me, message me, and we'll set it up, and we'll have, we'll come to your house, we'll go to a restaurant, we'll do whatever, invite some people, and we'll we'll have the Lord's Supper and talk about what it means to receive the grace of Jesus and be in the presence of Jesus, yeah. no matter what. So what I hope to happen from this PhD is that we as a family live and practice what we've already experienced Correct. in pubs and restaurants, yeah. and being with people who are outside of the church, yeah. but bring them the meal that literally brings heaven on earth. That's yeah. the meal. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Okay. Well, that was very interesting. Learned a lot of vocabulary words. But mostly what I'm most excited about, um, and a whole other podcast could be, like, my, my like, view on, like, how you're doing this PhD and how it's all fallen into place. That's a whole other podcast. But what I'm most excited about is just kind of seeing how this plays out in in our life and how we are going to extend the church, you know, into the world through knowing more about the Lord's Supper because um, I was brought up in a, you know, a denomination that did not have an open communion table. Mm -hmm. And it was personally when I uh, came to know the Lord very, very personally was uh, when I learned to re what it meant to remember my baptism, but also, um, you know, receiving the Lord's Supper. And um, and then when we had children, allowing our children to partake in the Lord's Supper and, and to experience his love and his grace at the table, even before they even could say the name of Jesus mm -hmm. and, and that significance of it. Mm -hmm. And so I just I feel like that that's something that the world needs. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that you're going to find it. So I'm very excited Thank to move you. to England <laughs> with you and to find out what this means. Me as well. <laughs> So that's it for today. Thanks to Cottonwood Public House once again. And thanks to Blake. Blake. <laughs> thanks, Blake. And to Key City Brewery. And uh, thanks uh, for listening in to Amongst the Table. Again, our mission and vision is to help you uh, share amongst the table for change amongst the world. If you want to know more about the Lord's Supper, if you want to know more about Jesus, and uh, who he is and you want to know more about him please message us we'd love to tell you about him we'd love to meet you at your own table whether mm -hmm. in a pub at your own house whatever and to share jesus with you he loves you he loves us all uh, peace be with you and remember to share amongst the table for change amongst the world folks bye thanks for joining us on our podcast the podcast amongst the table i'm christina What's your name? Dango. No, what's your name? Dango. I'm Jonathan. Remember to share amongst the table for change amongst the world. <laughs>
see y'all next time. Did you just step on a... No, I just stepped on a goldfish. <laughs>